Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor. I was thinking to this morning while uh, it was hot and it was moving, grooving and moving in this place. I thought about the two times in Scripture that we find a wedding feast and there were those who were invited and what I'd seen in both of those situations was that those who did not or were not permitted to participate in one situation it was because they had an excuse for not showing up and the second one the reason is because they made light of the wedding feast. They were making fun of the wedding feast. So I just got to tell you this morning, the reason I'm in church is because I didn't have an excuse for not being here. The reason why I worship is because I don't have an excuse for not worshiping. Well, if you're going to get what you really want or what you really need, you got to, come on, give up the excuses Quit finding an excuse. Quit making fun. Don't make fun of folks that run the aisles. You might, you won't get anything. Well, are you happy to be in the house of worship today? I am delighted to be here. It is an honor and a privilege to stand in this pulpit. I have great respect and great honor for your good pastor and his dear wife, their family, we love them deeply, my wife and I both. I'm just very, very sorry that my wife is not able to be with me. She doesn't travel a great deal because of some health issues, but uh, she alone, along with me, uh, we love the, the Mayos very, very much. Amen. I, you know, the, 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 one, of the, one of the characteristics about an apostolic church is that's different than a lot of denominal churches. People in the denominal world, they reference the church they go to by the name of their church. But typically in an apostolic church, we identify with the shepherd. Where do you go to church? I go to Brother Mayo's church. Is that, is that how some of y'all feel? Because you like to identify with your shepherd, with your pastor. And what I've noted down through the years is because of that, that a church typically adopts the characteristics and the personality of the pastor. And the one thing I've noticed about Pastor and Sister Mayo is they do everything with everything that they have within them. They worship, they sing, they preach. Yeah, they preach. With everything they've got. And that's what I like about Cornerstone is you do it with everything you've got within you. And that's what makes a great church. Come on, one more time. Clap your hands and give me praise. Amen. Amen. Here recently, actually on May 1st, my wife and I celebrated 50 years of wedding, marriage, Amen. During the course of that 50th year, 
My daughter bought a, we've never had a pet in the house. We've never had any kind of pet. I never allowed one in the house. And I got a story behind that, and I'm not going to get into all that this morning. But anyway, during this past year, my daughter bought her a toy poodle. And when I saw the look on my wife's face when she held my daughter's toy poodle, I knew that the battle was over and I was defeated. So I bought her a toy poodle. And now she's gone from dog love to puppy love. And uh, anyway, some of y'all can be real proud of me here today. Amen. I've always had aspirations through life. I want to be the right kind of son. I want to be the right kind of father. I want to be the right kind of husband. I want to be the right kind of preacher. You know, all those things. Now my aspiration in life is just to be the kind of man that my wife's puppy thinks I am. Amen. It's a a tough job. i got a lot of work to do. Amen. But we're delighted to be here. I'm excited about getting the opportunity to see the new facility in progress. But until then, we got a job to do. And that's to get into the word of the Lord and try to obey the Holy Ghost today. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 5, beginning with verse 5 down through verse 8. Luke 11 beginning with verse number 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. I want to talk to you the next few minutes on this thought. The answer from within. If you'll look at verse number 7, he from within shall answer. I want to talk today on the answer from within to the call from without. Amen. The answer from within to the call from without. One more time. Let's lift our voice, give him praise, prepare our hearts for the word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody shout hallelujah. God bless you. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Oftentimes when we read stories such as the one that I have read here today, we fail to realize that Jesus is trying to impart deep truths that can only be discovered when we study them prayerfully as well as carefully. I am convinced that Jesus never spoke just for the sake of speaking, but he always spoke with a purpose. There was an intent in what he was trying to communicate. And so we know that in our text that Jesus is actually using a hypothetical example. But within this hypothetical example, he is speaking 
to several areas of the human experience that I feel today in this service the Holy Ghost wants me to address. He also knew, Jesus knew, that when he spoke this hypothetical example, it would be recorded for all time so that it would not just go to the current hearers, but that it would also apply to us that are in this house this morning. You see, the Word of God judges the human heart with perfect accuracy, and it will disclose all of the most secret thoughts and the actions of a man's life. In John chapter 4, when the Samaritan woman, after her conversation with Jesus, she said these words, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She judged that a man who could lay before her all the deepest secrets of her heart and her life, surely this was the long-awaited Messiah. And she judged rightly when she made that judgment. You see, concerning the Word of God, the writer of Hebrews makes this business about the Word of God very clear. In Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. These two verses make it very clear that you can run, but you can't hide from God. You cannot hide from the Word of God. God knows all about your life. Amen. He knows what your thoughts are. He knows what your intents are. And it really doesn't matter how hard you try to hide from God. It is simply the fact you cannot do it. Amen. Jacob had two times in his life where he was asked, what is your name? The first occasion was when he came into his father and through deception would take the blessing of the firstborn. And his father asked him this question, what is your name? He lied to his father and he said, my name is Esau. Touch my hands and see how hairy they are. Smell my clothing. The odor is that of the hunting field. Surely you know who I am. But down the road when he wrestled as it were with God by the brook, God asked him his name. And he realized at that point, I might deceive my father. I might deceive those that are, I think, close to me. But I cannot deceive God. I'm going to tell somebody here today, you cannot deceive the Lord of glory. You cannot hide from the God that sees all things. 
He is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the ending from the beginning because he is the beginning and the ending. you got to understand today that we serve a God that looks in this house today and knows every single one of us. Can you give him some praise right now? Hallelujah. The Lord knows your name. You might feel like he don't know it, but he knows your name. He knows your address. He knows all about you. In fact, the Bible teaches us that he knows not just the number of the hairs of your head, but he has them numbered. I'm going to talk to you today about the fact that we serve a God that understands all things. We might come to church. We may go through the motions, but just going through the motions does not deceive God. You may think, make everybody else think that it's all right, but it may not be all right where God is concerned. That's why when I stand before him, I want him to know my heart. I want him to know my spirit, and I want to be completely open and honest with him in everything I say, in everything I do, and the intents and the motivations of my life. Amen. Now, I know where I'm going, so don't worry about it. Praise the Lord. Somebody shout hallelujah. The simple fact is that the Bible, the Word of God, perfectly unfolds man's very nature, his thoughts, his feelings, his desires, his affections, his imaginations, even the most secret chambers of his moral being. Nobody can read the heart but God. Your friends cannot read your heart. The world around you cannot read your heart. Your family cannot read your heart. But your God and his word can read your heart. Because there's no book in this entire world that can disclose the human heart like the word of God can disclose it. Oh, hallelujah. God knows where you are, and God will let you know that he knows where you are. Amen. We live in a world today where many books are being printed all about uh, self-worth and, and self-esteem and, and, and helping yourself, and all those things are noble, and all of those things are good. The problem with most of these books is that they only deal with the effect but they do not deal with the cause. Amen. They deal with the effect of sin. They deal with the effects of life, but not the underlying cause. Amen. They are nothing more than making an effort to somehow help you with the feelings that you have. But when I go to the Word of God, I understand that the Word of God does not deal with your symptoms. It deals with the cause. Amen. A number of years ago, I asked I ask a medical professional, and, and there's probably people in this house that could address this even more clear than what I can. 
But I asked them, I said, is it not true? I was going through some major health issues. And I was interested in doing more than just managing my problem. More than just managing my situation, which is what they wanted to do. And I asked this question. I said, is it not true that most medical people are simply symptomatic treaters and they really don't deal with the cause of the medical problem. They deal with just the symptoms. And, and this individual agreed and said, yes, pastor, you are exactly right. That is the case that we deal mostly with symptoms. She said, however, there's another side to that issue. And she said, it's the fact that we have people that come into our offices that sit down with us and whenever we identify what the problem is, they say to us, we really don't want uh, to change our lifestyle. We don't want to be any different. We don't want to eat different. We don't want to live any different. So just give me something that will make me feel better. And that's a major issue in our hour today. It's a major problem in the religious world. Most folks go to church just so somebody can make them feel better. But some of us, when we showed up at the house of God, we said, I don't want to just feel better. I want to be better. Come on. Somebody say amen. They're symptomatic treaters. That's all the, the religious world, the ministry of the religious world does. They simply are men that stand in the pulpit and hand out Valium tablets to somehow assuage a little of the pain that sin produces in people's lives. But we are not apostolic physicians that are just here to help you with your pain by giving you some kind of pain medication. We are not symptomatic preachers. We are preachers that will deal with the cause of your pain. Woo! We're here to deal with the heart issue. Amen. Don't expect your pastor to be a symptomatic preacher. Don't expect your pastor to walk in the pulpit and just try to help you with the pain of sin. When he walks up here, he's going to put his finger on the cause. And he's going to say, here's your problem. And in order for you to change the effect, you got to deal with the cause. Hallelujah. Lord, I feel Holy Ghost in this house. If you want to be different, if you want to feel different, you got to be different. If you want to get rid of the pain of sin, you got to get rid of the sin. Oh, hallelujah. The effects of drugs can only be dealt with by dealing with the cause of the addiction. My God, hallelujah. You got to make up in your mind whatever it takes. Whatever you got to do, God. Whatever work. Come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. 
These people that were running the aisles this morning, they weren't running the aisles just because they were feeling better. They're running the aisles because God delivered them from sin. Alcoholics Anonymous said you got to keep coming to our gatherings and you got to get up and go through our 10 or 12 step program. But every time you come, you got to stand up and say, I'm a recovering alcoholic. That's good to a degree, and that's a noble effort. But Jesus says you don't have to be a recovering alcoholic. You can be a delivered alcoholic. Come on. We don't have recovering drug addicts in this house. We have delivered drug addicts. We have people that God has set free. We have people that have dealt with their sin. My God, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And there's a reason for that. The reason is because there's an apostolic physician in the pulpit that says we're not going to have a church where all we're doing every time we get together is just trying to deal with a little bit of pain and we're going to go on and live our lives in suffering and shame. But we're going to have a church that when you walk in here, you know God's changed you. God's healed you. God's delivered you. Well, hallelujah. There's a reason for that. Preachers, apostolic preachers are not called to make you happy. They are called to make you holy. My, 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 hallelujah. Oh, preacher, just make me happy. No, we're not interested in making you happy. If we can make you holy, you'll have some joy. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I can preach a lot of things, but I can't preach what the, what the Holy Ghost didn't tell me to preach. Amen. You see, you see, here's the problem with happiness. Happiness is governed by externals, by mitigating circumstances in your life. But joy is what lives on the inside of you. That's why Paul said the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you ever get the Holy Ghost, if you ever get the Holy Ghost, and you get holy, you'll have joy. Your happiness will not be determined by your circumstances. Your joy will be determined by the fact that some things have been dealt with in your life that has made you a changed individual. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. So every now and then, you and I ought to come to church and say, thank God for the book that tells me everything I've ever done. We come to church sometime and we think we got it all hid and the preacher walks in the pulpit and just puts his finger right on our life. The preacher don't need anybody to tell him. He don't need your friends. He don't need your family. The Holy Ghost works through him. The anointing of God rests upon his life. And when the word of God begins to go forth, it will zero right in on where you live.
Amen. Let me tell you how it happens. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit helps our infirmities. Amen. The Spirit helps our infirmities. And it talks about how that when we don't even know how we ought to pray, that the Spirit makes intercession for us according to the will of God. So I'm just going to tell you who the tattletale is. Amen. When you come to church and the preacher starts walking right down your path and he starts reading your mail and you start thinking who in the world talked to him. Your Holy Ghost talked to him. Your Holy Ghost made intercession. My God, hallelujah. Your hope, my God, help me here today, Jesus. Your Holy Ghost began to speak to him because it's making intercession for you. It's interceding for why do you think your pastor walked up here this morning and said, I'm going to tell somebody something right now. The devil's a liar. You know why he said that? Because the Holy Ghost made intercession for you. <laughs> Amen. The Holy Ghost makes intercession. Now, it's not merely in the Word of God as a whole that we observe this intense power of discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Thank God he is able to differentiate between the thoughts and the intents because sometimes you can have crazy thoughts, but God knows the difference between your crazy thoughts and the intents of your life because you may not be guilty of sin if it's merely a thought, but when it becomes an intent, come on now. Jesus said, if a man looks upon a woman to commit adultery with her, if he is formulating an intent and making plans, he's already done it in his heart. You're already, oh, hallelujah, you're already guilty of the sin because God knows the difference between crazy thoughts and intents. And the Word of God overall is able to it's got the power to discern these things. But there's times that you'll see in just like what I call detached passages or brief sentences or in a verse, just a clause within a verse that begins to reveal some things that you and I need to pay attention to. Look, for instance, today to the three words which appear in verse number 7, and those three words speak volumes to us. He from within. He from within. The answer from within. When you start looking at this hypothetical example, Jesus is trying to convey some deeper understanding. This is more than just one man on the outside of the house calling to a man on the inside of the house. It's more than just two men speaking. But the deeper understanding is the answer that comes from within. The answer that comes from within your heart. From within your very being. That's what he's trying to talk about. He's trying to talk about what your reaction is from your heart. 
from within your very soul. Notice the answer from within. The answer from within is trouble me not. Amen. I I don't know why I feel this so heavily here today, but I feel like that what I'm going to preach this morning in the next few minutes, God wants to talk to some people because of the fear that there is in God toward us of us finding ourselves in a place of comfort where we don't want to be troubled. Those three words, trouble me not, that response contains a revelation of the selfishness of the human heart. Those three words are an expression of where the heart of man lives. It's a brief, pointed, concise commentary on man's reluctance to be intruded upon when he's reached a place where he feels comfortable, relaxed, and he kind of likes where he is. The sad thing is that many of us cannot read this phrase without seeing ourselves in that phrase because many of us do not like to be intruded upon when we have reached the place where we are comfortable, where we are at rest. We have settled in, and we don't want to be disturbed. Amen. Our walk with God must never reach a place where we are happy and contented and don't want to be challenged. Amen. We cannot reach a place where we are content in our walk with God. We can be content with Jesus, but not be content in our relationship, not be content in where we are in that relationship. The call from without, here's the answer from within, trouble me not. One of our greatest battles in living and working for God is this tendency to slip into a place of comfort or a spirit of complacency to the degree that we don't want to be troubled with what needs to be done. Don't bother me. I like it where I'm at. I'm content in the place that I'm in. I got the Holy Ghost. I got baptized in Jesus' name. I've been living for God for a number of years. And now I'm at a place where I feel pretty comfortable that I've overcome some things, that I have reached a place where I really don't want to be pushed. I don't want to be motivated. I don't, oh, hallelujah. It's kind of quiet here today, but that's all right. I'm feeling what I'm saying in the Holy Ghost right now. Oh, glory to God. There's a great work at hand right now at Cornerstone Apostolic Church. There's a great work going on. Amen. A building, a new construction project, future visions becoming a present reality. All of those things are going on. The one thing that we cannot allow ourselves to do is to become comfortable so that we don't want to be bothered with the work that needs to be done. We've got a world that needs to be won. There's a world lost going to hell.
Amen. In the beautiful analogy of Jesus Christ and his church that's found in the Song of Solomon, this exact same problem was encountered. Song of Solomon chapter 5 and verse 2. I sleep, but my heart wakes. It's the voice of my beloved that knocks, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my hand is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. She says, in response to the call from without, the answer from within is this. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? We can never reach a place of comfort that we find too, it's too much trouble to answer the call of God to communion with him. I don't want to get to a point where I've taken my coat off. I've removed my shoes. I'm in a place of ease. And it's too much trouble to get up and answer the door. Too much trouble to get up and respond to the call of the one from without. Amen. It's too much trouble to worship. It's too much trouble to go to church. It's too much trouble to get involved in the work of God. It's too much trouble to go to praise practice. Oh, hallelujah. I don't ever want to get to a place where it's too much trouble to labor in the kingdom. There's got to be something on the inside that says uh, there's work to be done. There's a challenge to meet. There's a world that needs to be reached. And I don't want to have an attitude that says, I can't be bothered with all of that. I cannot be bothered with all that needs to be done. Can I tell you there's a great difference in working for the church and doing the work of the church. We can't be selfish with our time. We can't be selfish with our energy. We can't be selfish with our effort. Amen. That call from without revealed by the answer from within the state of the human heart when it's comfortable, when it likes to be where it's at. It is an attitude of selfishness where we become selfish with our time, selfish with our efforts, selfish with our energy, selfish with our monies. Ooh, glory to God. I'm going to dig in here right now. Can I do that? Praise the Lord. Don't bother me. We've already stood six times. You mean i got to stand again? Come on now. Hallelujah. You've already asked us to clap our hands eight times in this service. You mean i got to clap my hands again? Well, we already took up three offerings this month. You mean I got to give again? I'm talking about the answer from on the inside. Oh, hallelujah. When you're in the house and somebody says, let's clap our hands to the Lord, you say, all right, hallelujah. This is wonderful. I'm not going to be selfish with my praise. I'm not going to be selfish with my worship. Well, hallelujah. 
Let's stand. No, you don't need to stand. I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just talking right now. Let's stand. Oh, Lord, we got to get up again. I just stood up a few minutes ago. In fact, he just told us to sit down. Now he's telling us to stand back up again. I'm going to tell you something, friend. How your, how, what your response is to the call from without reveals the state of your heart. It reveals the condition of your spirit. I refuse to be selfish with my time, with my energy, with my efforts. Amen. There was a call in Revelation from without. He said, Behold, in Revelation 3 and 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. But there's an answer from within. And that answer from within is found in verse 17. The Lord said, because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's the answer from within. Now, you've got to understand that God did not have a problem with the fact that Laodicea was rich and increased with goods. Who do you think blessed them? Who do you think increased their goods? Who do you think gave them what they had? Amen. They were a one God, tongue-talking, Jesus' name, Holy Ghost-filled church. The problem wasn't that they were rich and increased with goods. Here's the problem. This is what God found fault with. And that is he said, you say I'm rich, increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. You see, if we're not careful, our blessings can give us a false sense of security and contentment. Your problem's not your money. Your problem's not your possessions. Your problem is that you reach a point where you say, I don't need God anymore. I don't care what you drove to church this morning. I don't care what size house you left this morning. When you walk in that door, no matter what your bank account is, you got to walk in saying, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Come on. I don't know how you feel today. I wanted to know I'm going to answer. I need you, Jesus. I don't care how much you bless me with. I don't care what you've done for me. I don't care where I have arrived. I need you. I need your help. I need your touch. I need your strength. I need your power. God, I need you as much 30 years later as the night that I got the Holy Ghost, the night I got baptized in Jesus' name. I need you as much tonight, Lord, as I did. Amen. As I did when I was spaced out on drugs and drunk out of my mind on alcohol. I still need you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. 
same pride that makes a man drive his new, new car to the front door of the church so everybody can see it. It's the same pride that makes the man drive the jalopy, amen, to the back side of the parking lot so nobody can see it. It's the same pride. You got to walk in here saying, God, you bless me and I've come to praise you. You bless me and I've come to shout hallelujah. I can't hear you, Cornerstone. Come on. I said, I can't hear you. Woo. Get rid of your pride and walk inside this house and say, Jesus, here I am. I've come to praise you. I've come to worship you. I got to hurry. Hallelujah. But I can't help it. When stuff comes to my mind, I feel like the Holy Ghost is involved in it. Amen. When David brought the ark of God back to Jerusalem, dancing before the Lord with all of his might, he wore the linen garments of a common man. Amen. Down the streets, shouting before the Lord with all of his might. When he came into his home that night, shouting and praising God over what God had helped him accomplish. His wife, Michael, earlier that day, the scripture said that she looked out the window and she despised David in her heart when she saw him in the streets with the common people. Amen. The Bible said that Michael, Saul's daughter, didn't say David's wife, it said Saul's daughter. There's apparently a reason for that. Because at that point, she's acting more like her daddy than she was her husband. Her daddy never learned to be a worshiper. Her daddy, all, all her daddy knew how to be was a king. He didn't know how to be a worshiper. He didn't know how to offer up sacrifices. And whenever he got home that night, she looked at him, and with a sneering voice, amen, a harsh voice, she said, look at you, the king, down there among the common people, wearing the clothes of a common man. And he stopped and looked at her, and he said, let me, let me, lady, let me tell you something. He said, it was before God that the Lord chose me to be the king. You know what David was saying? He was saying, listen, lady, before I was ever the king, I was a worshiper. Before I was a king, I was a worshiper. And I want you to know, lady, that you gotta you, you gotta understand something. I'll be more vile than this. In other words, I'll be more quick, I'll be faster to worship than I've ever been before. Praise the Lord. You might be a business owner. You may be a supervisor. You may be a, a father. You may be a husband. You may be a king this morning. But when you drive up in this parking lot, you got to take your crown off. You got to take your royal robes off. You got to take your golden scepter and lay it down and put on the garment of praise. Come on. Come on. 
I don't care how big you've been. My God, help me here today, Jesus. I don't care how much God's blessed you. I don't care how big your business is. You ought to be in the house saying, hallelujah, before I owned the business, I was a worshiper. I can't hear you, Cornerstone. Come on. There's a time to be a king and a time to be a worshiper. I'm going to say it again. There's a time to be a king and there's a time to be a worshiper. Come on, man. Take your crown off. We don't need crowns in here. And we don't need royal robes in here. And we don't need golden scepters in here. We need worshipers. We need people that realize he brought me a mighty long ways. Amen. Doesn't matter how much God's blessed you. Doesn't matter how much God's worked for you. Don't get selfish. Don't get selfish with your heart. Don't get selfish with your praise. Don't get selfish with your response. Amen. We understand, Brother Bass, I'm the number one tithe payer here. I don't care what number you are. I don't care if you're number one in amount or if you're number 300 in amount. I got news for you. It has nothing to do with amount. The same person that put $1 in here this morning because that was the tenth of their increase. Put the same amount in if you put in a thousand today. My God, help me, Jesus. This ain't in my notes. I'm just preaching what I feel in the Holy Ghost right now. Come on. Don't sit back there thinking you did more than everybody else. You didn't do more than everybody else. That's why he put a percentage on it so that everybody would do the same amount. Well, well, amen. Your pastor didn't call me up here to play cat patty cake. He didn't call me up here to just do some symptomatic preaching. We're digging down to some cause. Amen. Doesn't matter how much you tithe, that will never take the place of your worship. That's a part of your worship, but it will not substitute for your hand clapping. It will not substitute for your foot stomping. It will not substitute for you saying hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'm going I'm to flip the coin over real quick and just tell you that if all you have was a dollar to put in this morning, you don't need to be sitting there ashamed because you only put in a dollar. You need to go ahead and say, God, that's my tithe, that's my increase, and I'm going to praise you, and I'm not going to let the amount I put in into my praise, into my worship. Come on, I wish I had some help right now. 
Praise the Lord. If all you had was a welfare check and you tithed on that this morning, keep tithing. The Lord will bless you so that you'll reach a point you won't have to have that welfare check anymore. He'll bless you as long as you don't let that hinder your praise. As long as... My, my, my. You ain't got a right to sit back there and put your horn on the back of the pew and do nothing. Can I say it again? I said, you ain't got a right to come to church and do nothing. You ain't where you are because you did it by yourself. You where you are because Jesus helped you every step of the way. Because Jesus blessed you every step of the way. Somebody shout amen. Now listen, I want you to see something in this in this example Jesus gave. I want you to notice. When the call came from the outward, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight? Because you have to understand something, friend. God doesn't call you when it's convenient. Huh? See, God don't call when it's convenient. It can be a time of convenience. Or it can even be situational convenience. God usually calls us at the most inconvenient times. Rarely does God ever call to us at a very convenient time. That's why if you're sitting here this morning, you don't have the Holy Ghost, and you're thinking, man, I'd like to be a part of this church, but I got a bunch of stuff to work out. I got to get some things organized in my life. I got to get some stuff straightened out before I can live for God. No, friend, let me tell you something. If he's calling you, it's the most inconvenient time of your life. Your marriage may be on the rocks. You may be on the bottom financially. You may feel like that there's nowhere else to go. You're helpless. You're hopeless. You're broke, busted, and disgusted, and you don't know which way to go, you need to answer the call, even though it's inconvenient. Amen. He doesn't call when it's convenient. And there's a reason why. Are you ready? There's a reason why the Lord doesn't call us when it's convenient. Because that would never reveal the true state of your heart. If he called when it was convenient and you answered the call, it wouldn't, that wouldn't reveal nothing about you. But whenever it's not a good time, when the timing is off and my situations are off, Hallelujah. And the call comes. And I don't say, trouble me not. 
because it's not the right time. It's midnight. It's a bad time for you to be calling for help. Do you understand that when Jesus stood by the treasury, he noted that everybody that came that day to give brought of their abundance except one little individual, the widow. And he stopped the whole process and he said, I'm just going to tell you, she gave more than everybody else. Because they gave of their abundance. So it reveals truly nothing about the state of their heart. But this woman's heart has been revealed in the fact that she of her want gave all that she had. She didn't have any more money. She may have went home hungry that day. She may have went home destitute that day. But the Lord said, I'm going to tell you, she gave more than everybody else. Because her situation didn't call for a time that she was waiting for a time of convenience. She was saying it's inconvenient right now, but I'm going to give everything I have. When you give only at a convenient time, and I'm, just, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about everything. Everything. When you give because it's convenient where time is concerned or you give only out of abundance, it does not show the state of your heart. It's only whenever everything in your world is upside down and you're struggling and you're in the middle of the worst trial of your life and you're standing there wondering how in the world am I ever going to survive this? And the Lord calls and says, would you give me a little bit of praise right now? Would you give me a little bit of worship right now? And you stand there and say, trouble me not, God. I don't want to be bothered right now. The Lord knows right then you got a selfish heart. But if you step up and say, God, it's not a good time, but I'm going to praise you anyhow. It's not a good time, but I'm going to give anyhow. Amen. Sometimes situational inconveniences can call and reveal the state of your heart. Simon Peter's on the boat and the waves are rocking. The sea is rolling. It's a storm. And Jesus comes walking on the water and he bids Simon Peter to come get out of that boat and walk on water. Do you realize when he called him to walk on water? It wasn't on a calm day by the seaside when the water was only six inches deep knowing that if he had fallen down through it, he only had six inches of water to fall through. He was in the middle of a storm. He was in the middle of a sea. And Jesus said, come on and walk on water. Hallelujah. Get out of that boat. And Simon Peter got out of that boat. I know that he saw the wind and waves and he got afraid and began to sink. That's not my focus. My focus is he got out of the boat in a storm. Come on. He, it's not a matter whether you sink at your attempt or not. It's whether or not you call and respond to the call when Jesus calls. Said to, Jesus said to Abraham, I want your son Isaac, your only son. He never even recognized Ishmael, the son of his flesh, the son of his carnal efforts. He only recognized the son of promise. Bring your son, your only son, offer him up on a mount that I'll show to you. 
Abraham never questioned God. Do you understand what God was doing right then? What God was doing was testing Abraham to find out whether or not Abraham loved the gift more than the gift giver or the gift giver more than the gift. If God called you today to give him everything back that he has given to you, what would your response be? The question is whether or not we're willing and our heart says, I love the gift giver more than I've ever loved any gift he's ever given me. I thank God for the gifts. I rejoice in the gifts. But the gift giver's been better to me than any gift I've ever received. Come on. Has Jesus been better to you than anything he's ever done for you? Has he helped you whenever nobody else would? Has he turned you around when nobody can help your situation? Amen. I, I beg you today, forgive me for using myself as a personal example. I don't like to do this, but... I must, I shall, I'll put it that way. When my wife and I felt back in the early 80s that it was the will of God for us to go back on the evangelistic field, we had three children. They were not even teenagers yet. We moved our three children out of a 2,500 square foot home that we had just recently built to live in into an eight by 31 foot travel trailer hooked it up to a van, and took off traveling. Amen. Was it tight? Oh, yeah, it was tight. A lot different than living in a place that's just a little over 240 square feet as opposed to 2,500 square feet with some property around it. Amen. But can I tell you, oh, hallelujah, can I tell you that we never questioned God one time? Huh? Everything's going to be all right. Because you see, that brings me to my next point. It wasn't just the time that the call came. But there's another point that I find interesting in the answer. The call or the answer from within to the call from without said this. My children are in bed with me. What kind of a signal does it send to your child? When the parent uses them for an excuse for not rising up and responding to the need, responding to the call. Huh? What kind of, well, what kind of a signal does it send? It tells children, well, amen, first of all, we're being used as a crutch. We're being used as, as an excuse. Don't use your child as an excuse. Oh, praise the Lord. God, help me here this day. I pray God, help me. I don't want to get out of line. 
I don't want to say the wrong thing, but let me just tell you, friend, when it came church time, we took our children to church when they were sick, when their nose was running. We took our, we didn't, we didn't take whenever the fever was high. We didn't take them if they were infectious to others. No. Amen. But we didn't let the first little sniffle keep us out of church. There was a foregone conclusion around my house. We're going to church. Sunday morning, we're going to church. Sunday night, we're going to church. Wednesday night, we're going to Huh? Somebody say amen. Amen. Somebody shout amen. Is, is there any little babies in the house or we got them all stuck back somewhere else in the corner? Hallelujah. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Amen. Son, can I, can I, can you, will you let Brother Bass use you this morning? You want to help Brother Bass preach here this? You want to help me preach? Come on. No, okay. I don't want to embarrass him. Amen. I got, I need, I need, I'm sorry, I can't pick him up. He's too big. And I know that mama don't want to turn loose that little baby. Amen. She's afraid I'll drop him. Somebody say hallelujah. Come on, I'm going somewhere. Hey, I found the perfect, I found the perfect example right here. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. This one can't say no. Huh? This one can't say no. You know the reason why Lazarus got up out of the grave when Jesus said Lazarus come forth because a dead man don't have a will. Some of y'all get that about midnight tonight. I said a dead man can't, don't have a will. A dead man can't say, no, I'm not getting up. No, I'm not going to respond. A dead man don't have a will. It can't respond back. But whenever he called, that dead man got up because the only thing a dead man knows how to do is respond when the call is made. And when you lose your will to the will of God, your response will always be, I'm coming I'm on my way. I'm getting up. Come on, mama. Don't use your baby as an excuse not to worship. I've been in churches where mama's jumped up with that little old infant, and she said, come on, we're going to run this house. We're going to praise our God. We're going to worship this morning. We're going to... I can't hear y'all. I can't hear y'all. Come on. Get up. Get up. Praise him. Get up. Worship him. You know what your babies need to realize? Man, I don't know what all we're a part of, but it's good. I like it. This is wonderful. All right, you can sit back down. See here, Mama, that, that newborn baby, I would have took care of it. It might have been screaming by the time I got done with it. Amen. Give this little girl her baby back. That, that baby is anointed now. Be careful with it. Praise the Lord. Huh? But what do you think children think whenever daddy says, oh, man, here we are. 
Preachers preaching revival. Preaching we got to get up and go. Preaching we're going to buy a new building. Preaching we're going to have another, another complex to work on. We're going to have another place to have church. And oh Lord, here it is. It's going to require time. It's going to require money. It's going to require effort. It's going to make a demand on me. Hallelujah. Sorry preacher, I can't come. My children are in bed with me. What does that tell your children? The work of God is not important. Amen. Was it tight in that little 31-foot trailer? Oh, yeah, it was. But we never once made our children feel like it was a burden or it was too much trouble to work for God. And today, every one of them are involved in ministry, pastoring churches, preaching revivals, winning souls, loving God. Amen. Because we raised them to understand you're going to have inconvenient times. It ain't going to always be convenient. But you got to have a heart that's generous with God. Give God your best. Give God, oh, glory to God. I said give God your best. Amen. Seven years ago, just a few days, just past Monday, seven years ago, my oldest son, my only, my oldest child, my son, lost his 18-year-old son after being at a peak conference and shouting for 45 minutes on the platform. Amen. He, he lost his life in an automobile accident. Amen. He was he, he permitted, he permitted God to take his son without getting bitter at God, without getting angry at God. Amen. Without getting upset at God. God. He still lived for God and still preached, preached revival, preached souls, preached seeing God do great things. Come on. I know. I walked with him through it all. I know what he gave to him. I know, and I'm sorry, I'm preaching too long here today. But it's been too long since I've been here too. Huh? He said you're going to get out by 1 o'clock. We're going to miss that 1 o'clock. Amen. And, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't always tie. I don't always tie the, the, the physical blessings with spiritual things. I don't, understand. I, don't, I don't always do that. But my son remained faithful to God. He remained faithful to the Word of God. And about three weeks ago, he just moved into a brand new home, 4,000 square feet. Amen. Four and a half acres of living a, a, a property that God has blessed him with. Amen. All I'm trying to tell you is that he has lived for God. Oh, yeah, the pain has been there. The tears have been there. They've stood over the grave and said, how do you give up an 18-year-old son? But they went ahead and said, God, if you wanted him more than we needed him, then we're willing to give him to you. You hear me today? You can't get selfish with God. You got to be generous. You got to be generous. You got to be generous. Amen. You got to be generous. I'm going to make one more point and I'm quitting. I'll be done. The last verse of that text said, though he will not rise and give him. 
because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Another Bible translation renders that verse on this wise, and it kind of expands, amplifies, so you better understand. He said, I tell you, although he will not get up and supply him anything because he is his friend, Yet, because of his shameless persistence and insistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now look at that scripture. What that scripture is telling us is this. That the answer from within is this. I'm getting up. I'll give him what he needs. Not because I have a generous heart, because I still have a selfish heart. I don't want to get up. But if I don't get up, he's not going to shut up. Huh? I'll get up so I can silence that voice. My God, have mercy. I'll get up and I'll respond because if I don't, he's just going to stand out there and keep right on knocking. He's going to keep right on calling and I'll never get him to be quiet. So I'm going to get up, not because I have a generous heart, but because I want to get my friend off my back. Too many are willing to do just enough to get God off their back. Too many are willing to do just enough to get their pastor off their back. Oh, Lord, help me. Is it quiet? The young king came in and said to Elisha, the prophet, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And the prophet said, take your bow, put an arrow in it, shoot it out the window. He put his hand on the king's hands. He shot. He said, that's the arrow of deliverance. You're going to be delivered from the Syrians. He said, now take the rest of the arrows and beat them on the ground. And the prophet of God watched as this young king, here's what the king's attitude was. I'll just humor the prophet and I will beat it just three times. And when he did, the prophet got angry and said, why did you just keep pounding the ground? Because now you're only going to have three victories and that's all. You'll, you will have limited victory over your enemy. But you could have completely annihilated them. You could have completely destroyed their effect and their power over you if you would have just turned loose. Come on. I'm preaching to somebody here today. You're doing just enough to get your pastor happy. You're, do, you're just beating the ground three times to get your pastor off your back. Huh? Holy Ghost is moving, church is pumping, and everything's going on, and he looks at you like, what are you doing? And you get out and run because you don't want to get that look again. Amen. But all you did was just got the look off your back. When you ought to be just running, amen, you ought to be praising, you ought to be engaged, you ought to be involved. With I'm going to do just enough for the church so they'll leave me alone going to do just enough to get the preacher off my back, to get God off my back. I'm going to do it not because I'm generous. I'm going to do it just so I can have a good face. I have a good reputation and they still like me. Come on, we, we got to quit. Let's go. Somebody give them, give them some hope up here, brother. Amen. 
If I need to apologize for preaching so long, I apologize. If I don't need to apologize, then I don't apologize. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm just telling you what I feel, what I, what I believe the Holy Ghost sent me to preach in this house, that there's a call. It's in here that God's looking for. He wants the answer. Nobody can answer for you. Your friends can't answer. Your fellow brother or sister in church can't answer for you. Your pastor can't answer for you. And you've got to understand something. No matter what answer you give, God hears the answer. You may not even voice it with your lips. It may just be an inside voice. But God hears that voice. Amen. Hope and pray as long as I live. And if I get comfortable where I'm at, that I hear a voice calling me from without. Get up. There's work to be done. There's souls to be won. There's a world to reach. There's revival to be in. There's people sitting in this house here today. You don't have the Holy Ghost. You come to church, and the Lord's calling you. There's a call. There's, there's people in the church here today that God's been calling you, calling you to a deeper walk, to calling you to prayer, calling you to a deeper level of consecration. There's people in this place that you don't have the Holy Ghost, and there's a call upon your life. God's been reaching for you. But the answer from within has been, trouble me not. I'm, I'm kind of enjoying my trip to hell. Come on. I'm enjoying my trip to hell. I'm enjoying my journey to eternity. You might enjoy the journey. There's a lot of folks out there in this world enjoying the journey to eternity. But they're not going to like their eternity. They're not going to like where they're going to wind up, where they're going to be for eternity. That's why you need right now to say, God, trouble me. Trouble me. When you lay down at night, I want to tell you right now, I'll tell you what I'm praying. I'm praying for some people in these pews right here this morning that when you lay down tonight on your bed and you put your head on your pillow, that a voice begins to speak to you. That the Holy Ghost begins to talk to you. I'm going to pray God trouble your sleep. Trouble your time. Amen. When you're trying to rest. Trouble you to cause you to get up from where you are and say, i got to have, i got to have God. I've got to have the help of God. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to go to hell. I'm going to give God. I'm going to, I'm going to change my selfish heart toward God. And I'm going to give him a generous heart. From this time forth. I'm going to give him a generous heart. Let's stand. Have we been guilty of just humoring God, humoring our family, humoring the church, humoring our pastor? Are we guilty of just doing enough just to get everybody off of our back? I'm going to tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost right now.
There's a man standing in this place that you're in church this morning, but the only reason why you're in church is because your children have been begging you to go to church. Your wife has been on you. So you, to get them off your back, you just decide to come to church today. Praise the Lord. And that situation could apply in many different directions. Just so your family would get off your back. Just so your wife would get off your back. So your children would quit bothering you. You came. But the Lord is saying, if you would just, not just come to the house of worship, but if you would open up your heart and let me in, I would change everything. I would make it completely different. Then when you show up, it won't be because you're just trying to humor everybody. But it's because you found a love for God. This altar's open right now. If you're here today and you don't have the Holy Ghost, you need to get the Holy Ghost. If you're here today and God's been calling you, God's been calling you, God's been calling you, God wants to know what's your answer. But you don't understand, God. I answered before and I feel like I failed. I feel like I failed, God. I answered before and I feel like I failed. Don't worry about it. Answer the call again. Respond to the call again. This is a beautiful response right now. Amen. I'm just telling you, I I know what I felt. I know what the Holy Ghost, all the way on my journey here and even this morning, seeking God in the hotel room, I felt so strongly that God would call some, that God would reach for some. And the question would be, what would be our answer from within? How would we respond to God when God called us? I hope, I hope for the next few minutes that we don't just stand here and silently pray. But I hope that somebody starts crying out saying, Jesus, I'm coming to the door. I'm going to open the door. I'm going to let you in. I'm going to respond to the call. I'm going to, the need is so great. The work is so great. I'm I'm responding. I'm giving it all. I'm giving it all. I'm going to give you everything. There's some young people that God wants to give you a great calling. He wants to work a great work in your life. But you got to learn how at a young age to be content with God and go ahead and serve Him with your whole heart. Come on, church, let's pray. While the, while the praise singers are worshiping in song, I want everybody in the altar start lifting your voice. Start lifting your voice. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Come on, I can't hear you. Pray. Lord, I agree. My desire.